Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everyone. So for this week, we have Chris Shelton, an old friend. He is a former cult member who escaped from a lifetime of indoctrination and abuse and started a YouTube channel to educate the public about coercive and cultic control, undue influence, and brainwashing, and has spoken at the Secular Hub many times on these topics. He hosts a weekly podcast, a call-in show, and a Q&A, has been featured on the Emmy Award-winning Scientology in the Aftermath television documentary series, and has appeared on a number of media platforms discussing cultic influence. Here is my friend and colleague, Chris Shelton. Hi, Chris. How are you? It's been way too long. I've missed talking to you, and I apologize. That's probably on me. I just got so distracted and busy. I'm very sorry. Not a problem. <laughs> Life is busy these days. <laughs> I have been swamped with work and uh, trying to do some consultation and trying to keep my life going and everything else. And so I totally understand. Okay, right? There's a lot happening. So for anyone listening who doesn't know who you are, which I can't imagine at this point, <laughs> but anyone new, the uninitiated who have not yet heard of Chris Shelton, extraordinaire, if you can, um, if you could just take a moment, introduce yourself, and then we'll start schmoozing as we say in the business. I guess the most interesting thing about me is that I was uh, sort of raised in Scientology. I, I spent 27 years doing Scientology, working for the church for 25 years, joined the Sea Org, did the billion-year contract, got myself out of that 10 years ago, and I've spent the last 10 years recovering from that experience and helping other people recover from it and educating people about it. And in the course of doing that, found out that Scientology is really just one very pipsqueak example but a great case study, but really just one example of numerous groups out there, religious and non-religious, that seek to control and take over and, and run people's lives for them and tell them what to think and believe and how to act and all of that. And I find that egregious and quite a human rights violation. <laughs> and I, I, I have some, you know, I have some protests and some things to say about that. So the recovery from Scientology and recovery from cults and, you know, the conversations you and I have had uh, many, many times on my channel, all great podcasts and shows about recovery and, and dealing with narcissists and predators and, you know, bad people, basically, has basically become my life work. This is what I do. Is I just talk about this stuff. And that's kind of who I am. Right. I think, you know, I also didn't know this was going to be my life work, but there's something that happens probably for both of us, where the more stories you hear, the more it lights a fire under you. And you think, okay, I want to I want to do something if I can, because this is really wrong. And also, the more times you hear about people getting away with it, the more you want to be a voice to try to call it out or call them out to help stop them, or at least even to support the people who have been hurt who can't get justice. I know I, I do want to talk about Danny Masterson and talking about justice. I mean, if we can kind of even just jump into that first, one of the things that is amazing when people see these kinds of court cases, these kinds of trials, is that they see what people are up against 
when they're fighting Scientology and also you know, men and women who have been abused in this way. Also, it's this cautionary tale, unfortunately, about coming forward, that you're going to be destroyed along the way, potentially. And you have to be willing to put your armor on to fight the good fight. It shouldn't have to be this way, but I always feel for the men and women who have been abused, who have to I don't know, run the gauntlet, be be willing to be self-sacrificial in terms of their ego and confidence and just having a good day for a long time until something happens that feels like justice. And then it also sometimes feels like inadequate justice, even when it does happen. Like there is more there that it could have been really seen as an issue or more cases that just never were able to be brought forward. But still, we take our victories and I know that, you know, you're going to care a lot about how these cases go, especially Scientology related cases. And also because you saw abuses, I'm sure. And you heard of a lot of situations where people just didn't have a voice and they couldn't come forward. So I'd love you just to talk about this case, maybe even among others of what your impressions are of how it went down and what impact you think it might have overall. It's a big thing and there's a lot to know about it. I'll try to, in terms of how to enter into this, I guess we could start by first off saying Danny Masterson's victims, and there were a number of them. Reports that we have are that there were more than 10, maybe upwards of 20. Uh, Lots and lots of women were affected by this man over the years and his predatory behavior. And uh, and I don't have to say alleged anymore. He's a convicted felon. This man has been found guilty of these crimes. And so I just get to say, you know, straight up, Danny Masterson uh, is a sexual predator. And that is what he did. And he had a lot of air cover uh, for very specific reasons from the Church of Scientology, who weren't just issuing some press releases in his favor. They were taking action behind the scenes to cover up and actually sort of suppress the release of this information because he was preying on certain women who were in Scientology at the time he was doing this. And they because they were plugged into the Scientology world, that brought a whole nother level of kind of awful to this case because of what Scientology's policies and practices are. Uh, very exclusionary, very us versus them, very cloistered bubble world kind of group. And they have their own justice system. They have their own rules and regulations that they believe is superior to the justice system of the outside world. Boy, there's just so many places to start. I guess I want to start by saying um, there were so many difficulties getting this case prosecuted. The actual instances that were prosecuted and the testimony that was given were from incidents that happened 20 plus years ago. That blows the statute of limitations. And and the reason why this had taken so long is because the individual victims did not know about each other. It took years for them to find out that there were other victims. They all individually thought they were the the only one. And Scientology had done such an effective job of covering it up and pushing down their willingness or ability to go to the police. And then, of course, once they went to, once one of them went to the police, the Church of Scientology's ties with the Hollywood division of the LAPD, which was the, you know, the area that would deal with this, 
were so infamously known as as corrupt. They had corrupted the LAPD area so thoroughly, so heavily influenced it that you couldn't rely on a, a fair, objective investigation. They call it safe pointing or PR area control. And they really do mean control. The Church of Scientology's public relations people work very, very dedicatedly and have for many decades, all the way going back, all the way to the 70s and 80s, to sort of infiltrate and get and make friendly with uh, local police establishments, major, you know, police forces. And of course, the LAPD is pretty big. And Scientology has a very big presence in Los Angeles. It's the second largest concentration of Scientologists in the world outside of uh, what you might find in Florida. And arguably, there might actually be more public Scientologists in L.A. than there are anywhere else. So it was always in Scientology's best interests uh, to form tight relationships with the LAPD. Well, those relationships really pay off in times like this, where... Back in the early 2000s, when these women were coming forward to the church and making their claims, Scientology ministers and ethics officers and staff sat these women down individually, one by one, as these things were happening. These happened in different times uh, in the early 2000s. I think it was 2003, 2004, 2005, and dealt with them and convince them of many things. One, that if you're in a relationship, it can't be sexual assault. So therefore, you know, he's your boyfriend. So therefore, it can't be rape. So we're not going to call it that. Don't use that word. They were specifically instructed. This is all according to their own testimony on the stand during this trial. Scientology staff members were telling them, uh, you can't use that word. That's not what this was. You're actually the person who is the problem here, not Danny Masterson. Masterson is, uh, in, in one case, it was your, he's the producer, he is the uh, the breadwinner, he is the one who is providing, therefore, you're indebted to him, so if he wants, and whenever he wants to have sex, it's your duty and job to give it to him, however he wants it kind of thing, very, very, you know, fundy, evangelical kind of patriarchy kind of attitude coming out of Scientology. Uh, it's not biblical patriarchy. They don't have a Bible. They have L. Ron Hubbard's directives, right? But it's the same spirit of the man is in charge and the woman's job is to submit. And that was exactly how these women were talked to. And they were made out to be not victims, but actually perpetrators. They were the ones who were the problem. This is, of course, ludicrous in the face of what he did. And to be clear, this is not just a he said, she said of Masterson wanted sex and they didn't want to have it and let's have an argument 20 years later about whether that was assault or not. Masterson's actions were predacious. He drugged his women. He would get them into a state where they were semi-conscious, unaware of what was happening. And he would then proceed to assault them. And this was a repeating pattern of behavior. He would come up with a drink. And this was also done to non-Scientologist women as well. This was done at an after party for Dracula 2000. A woman testified about this. She was not one of the ones who was uh, prosecuting Masterson. But that testimony was included in the trial to establish pattern. He did this with his own girlfriend that he had been, you know, uh, dating or going out with for a very long time. But we found out during the course of the testimony, it was an abusive relationship. He would often 
physically grab her by the hair, drag her around. I mean, a really nasty behavior. Uh, just a domestic violence abuser is, is what it turns out this man is. Um, so in or out of relationships, he would his you know he would get this pattern of operation of drugging the women and then assaulting them in their sleep. In one case, laughing about it the next day when confronted about it. What happened last night? Ha, 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 we had sex. And she's in pain because of the assault. Uh, and this was not just regular intercourse. This was also uh, other places. You know, we don't have to get all detailed about this, but it was really, really gross. So finally, uh, there were payoffs made. There was uh, efforts to suppress this by Scientology. For example, one Scientology ethics officer was dealing with one of the victims, and she decided, well, this is not really working. And she went to the police, and she issued a report, and she gave this ethics officer's name as the person she had gone to. And he called her up and said, you are in so much fucking trouble right now just for, for having called the police. You have no idea. And the weapon that the Church of Scientology would wield against these women has to do with the cultic environment that Scientology creates. And, of course, Scientology is a destructive cult. It's, it's, it's a money-making scam. It's designed to entrap people and uh, psychologically you know, torment and abuse them uh, in the name of religion. It's quite gross what Scientology gets up to. And, of course, Having been part of it for so long, I, you know, I, I really know how this stuff works. It's it's really bad. So when uh, when these women would come forward, what would happen is they would be threatened with what's called disconnection. When you become a Scientologist or when you join almost any group, I think your listeners are going to be well aware that you tend to become very in-group, very us versus them. And the group is all, and everybody else outside the group is not. And this is very much how Scientology is. It's, it's, uh, they have derogatory terms for talking about people who are not Scientologists. They, they look down on them. They call them degraded beings, uh, amongst other things, DBs. Uh, and other, you know, sort of uh, racial slurs they will even use, which I won't repeat. They're, they're quite derogatory. And and the attitude of Scientology is very arrogant and superior and conceited. And having been a Scientologist most of my life up until 10 years ago, I, you know, we were really dickheads. It was just, it was bad. You know, I, I'll, I'll admit it, right? I was absolutely a dickhead as a Scientologist. And I mean, I don't know, some people say I still am, but whatever. I <laughs> With this, you get this uh, justice system. And so it's there's a graduated scale of actions the Church of Scientology will take against their own parishioners to enforce compliance with their rules. They get courts of ethics. They have reports written on them. They keep files, dossiers on every member. And these files and, had, contain reports that Scientologists write on each other it's a sort of a snitch culture where you're always watching your neighbor, you're always watching your fellow Scientologists and reporting them for bad behavior. And amongst the highest of bad behaviors in Scientology is being critical of the church itself or its staff members. You know, murder, sexual assault, those take a back seat to bad-mouthing Scientology or bad-mouthing its leadership or its policies or saying that it's doing something wrong. Scientology is flawless and perfect as far as its members go. It has to be that way. 
they will never admit error or anything wrong. So when these women came forward and were accusing a major Scientology VIP celebrity of rape, it was like, no, 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 no. It was immediately shut down. And the women were told uh, not only was it their fault and they were misperceiving this and it was, and it was you know, it was, Masterson is, is the good guy in this scenario. Um, but they were told, if you do not comply and get in line here and follow what we're telling you to do, which includes you go get a confessional, you go admit to your crimes victim of Danny Masterson because you're the one who's in, in error here. If they do not comply with this, then um, these graduated steps start being taken on them, where not only do reports get written on them, but their their very livelihood is becoming becomes threatened. These were women who were working in the industry or were connected with Masterson and other celebrities and were trying to make a life doing this. And if Scientology were to pull the plug on all of that, their lives would be, you know, their professional lives and personal lives would be greatly, greatly impacted, if not ruined. That's just characteristic of what destructive cults do to exert control over their members. And the church went all out on this. So obviously, me talking about all of this and, the, and stressing so much about what the church is doing is not to nullify or take attention away from Masterson's crimes. It's to highlight that he was enabled in doing these crimes and in carrying them out for many, many years. The church actually enabled this behavior. So all of this came out in the trial. There were two trials, actually. There was a, an initial trial, which resulted in a hung jury and a mistrial because Scientology's role was muted in the testimony, and they couldn't really say everything that had happened. This is one of the biggest problems in prosecuting Scientology or other destructive cults that are religious in nature is they get a lot of air cover from the First Amendment, protection of religion and religious practices. Judges tend to be very, very uh, hesitant to want to bring religion into a courtroom or religious practices. But in this case, the, the second time the trial, the, the second time around on the trial, the judge had kind of realized what was actually going on in her own courtroom and how Scientology was gaming the system to hide from accountability. And she allowed a lot more testimony to be brought in on the part of what Scientology had done. Not because Scientology were defendants in the case, but because it spoke to the state of mind of Masterson's victims. Why didn't they come forward for so many years? Why did it take the LAPD so long to get into this? Why why now? You know, 20 years later, right? Well, that's why I'm that's why I'm harping so much on Scientology here is because Scientology suppressed this news from coming out for so many years. And you'll see with the outcome of this that Masterson is now going away for a very long time. Odds are if Scientology had not enabled this behavior and these women had come forward and an actual investigation done and him prosecuted at that time, he'd probably be out of jail by now. Now, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, 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 the silver lining here is um, he was found guilty of two of the three counts that were brought against him. And because of the nature of the law that was used, the, the, the one-strike law in California, minimum sentence for each count that he was found guilty of is 15 years to life, 15 years each. So minimum, he's going away for 30 years. And it cannot be, according to the wording of the law, it can't be done concurrently. 
it has to be one sentence and then the next. So he's going away, probably not coming out. He's, he's in jail. He will, be, he will be sentenced on August 4th. And they're actually, you know, pushing to get him over to to prison uh, sooner than later because apparently the conditions are better in prison than jail. But I, I'm anticipating for him that he's not going to be having a very good time of it. He's a celebrity, so he'll probably be uh, isolated or put into solitary or whatever. And that's that's actually worse than being in general population, as far as I can tell. Solitary confinement is crazy making. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, even in this case. Yeah. I'm wondering also, and I know there's more to this, but I'm wondering about, you know, the church needing to take responsibility for the culture that allows it, that enables it, you know, and that's the thing that doesn't often happen, that I work with a lot of people raised in Bible-based groups where they were really told this is okay to be treated this way and it's okay to be touched in this way and you're not supposed to ever say no and this is what God wants. And then uh, the people who are the victims are the ones who are victimized if they're upset or if they want to come forward. And the perpetrator, on rare occasions like this, will need to take some responsibility, but really they're living within this system that has made it okay, uh, but the system doesn't have any impact on it. And, you know, they'll still have their tax-exempt status and be able to cry religious persecution when people come after them. And I I don't know how much longer that's going to last, but probably longer than any of us want it to. Well, you know, we are definitely going to see how long that's going to last. I, you're absolutely right. The church's response, I was just pulling it up here, and I'll, if you'd like, I can read a couple of lines. Oh, yeah, I'd love it. Because um, this was the official statement from the Church of Scientology in response to Danny Masterson's conviction. And you'll notice, well, let me just read some of this, and then we'll talk about what's here and what's not here. The prosecution's introduction of religion into this trial was an unprecedented violation of the First Amendment and affects the due process rights of every American. The church was not a party to this case, and religion did not belong in this proceeding, as Supreme Court precedent has maintained for centuries. So first off, of course, this these two statements, these two first sentences of this, and it goes on for a little bit more, but the first sentence here is completely not true. It was not in any way, shape, or form a violation of the First Amendment to bring Scientology's actions, not beliefs, actions, into this trial, especially when those actions are obstruction of justice. That's what the Church of Scientology engaged in in the course of Masterson's cover-ups. They were not made defendants in this trial because of that. It was simply exter- you know, a, a testimony to that fact. The church was not a party to this case, true, and religion did not belong in this proceeding. It wasn't in this proceeding. There was nothing religious about Scientology's actions. They were enabling sexual assault. That's not religion. That's a criminal cover-up. And just because a church doesn't, doesn't mean they get a free pass. And this is basically what Scientology is trying to get, is a free pass because of the First Amendment. They say here the district attorney unconscionably 
centered his prosecution on the defendant's religion and fabrications about the church to introduce prejudice and inflame bigotry. No, that's not what the DA did. Uh, The DA simply asked the women to testify as to what happened to them, and they did so, as I described earlier. None of that centered on their religion, and there was no fabrication of facts. Elicited testimony and descriptions of Scientology beliefs and practices, which were uniformly false. No, they literally read from Scientology's doctrines. Right in the courtroom, they had an expert witness on Scientology, Claire Headley, testify to Scientology's dogma, and she was an expert witness, so her opinion in this case is true as far as the court is concerned. And what she had to say was right out of Scientology's policies. She didn't skew anything. And the court's statement of church doctrine was her own invention. Dead wrong, all capitals. (laughs) You know when you're seeing all capitals? (laughs) In official statements from organizations that something's probably amiss? Uh, Yeah, I know. I'm like, just try to be professional for a sec. Exactly. And then then Uh they say, and then they continue with their nonsensical lies when they say the church has no policy prohibiting or discouraging members from reporting criminal conduct of anyone to law enforcement. That is a blatant lie. I have done live streams on my channel, as have other ex-Scientologists, showing the exact policies. And And it's true, strictly speaking, it would be true that there is no policy that says you can't go to law enforcement. What it says you can't do is you cannot make public statements against other Scientologists. That's what you can't do. And and specifically to government bodies, media reporters, you know, like like it's, it's very clear that you're not allowed to do that. If you have a problem with another Scientologist, you are mandated to deal with it internally within Scientology. When it comes to criminal acts, that's insane. The, the, the law enforcement exists for a reason. Yet Scientology's policies are crystal clear that if you go to law enforcement without their okay, you then are threatened with the, all these ethics measures of, uh, eventually resulting in you getting kicked out of Scientology and losing your social networks and your professional networks and all of that, thereby ruining your life. That's the whole point. And that is what Scientology does. And it's not a misrepresentation to say they do those things. They do. That's what happens. You start a YouTube channel like I've done. You write a book. You're critical of Scientology. You're toast. You're out of there. No Scientologist will ever talk to me for the rest of my life because of that. For example, I'm a declared suppressive. So are these women. You know, So is anybody else who, uh, who tries to take on the church. So Danny Masterson isn't mentioned once. Yeah, they got nothing to say about him. All they're doing is trying to give themselves air cover for their own criminal acts by saying all of it is a lie. None of it ever happened. Yeah, it did. <laughs> and it's now, here's the, here's the exciting news about this. And it really is a change. The exciting news is that now it is legal fact in a criminal setting, not a civil suit, in criminal court that Scientology actively covered up for a sexual predator. And that's a big deal because, as you mentioned earlier, right, trying to take these, trying to take these guys to court, trying to take on Scientology, trying to bring some legal prosecution to Scientology has been damn near impossible for decades. Trying to bring them to heel in civil trial has been 
damn near impossible because they have contract law on their side and they have very high-priced lawyers who will just file submission after submission after submission that extends the trial beyond the time that people who are bringing suits can continue to pay for it and deal with it. And the lawyers that they get on, you know, on, on commission or whatever don't tend to be you know, the very best and brightest, the way Scientology can go hire their defense lawyers to be the best and brightest. And so legal battles against Scientology have been very, very difficult over the years. So this was a real surprise for everybody and, a re- and, and just an amazing result that Masterson was found guilty because it was a contentious case. It truly was. I mean, these are 20-year-old charges. I'm, I'm absolutely positive that Masterson and his family were absolutely shocked that this was the outcome. But the testimony was damning. And the pattern of behavior that Masterson engaged in was too similar from person to person to person. These were women who did not know each other, had not been talking to each other, and yet they could all come to trial and explain exactly what this guy was doing over and over and over again. And the jury saw very clearly what this guy was about. So um, we are very hopeful. I, you know, It's fingers crossed right now, but we are very hopeful that this will create a sort of domino effect with other cases of a criminal nature, not just civil cases, that could be brought against Scientology. Because so far, Scientology was testified about, but nobody's brought criminal charges against Scientology for what they did with Masterson. Now they could. Or other things could happen. Apparently, for example, there is a grand jury that has been in play for a number of years. And Danny Masterson's name and the Church of Scientology are connected with that grand jury. The judge herself issued a a statement or a a ruling this last week in a related matter where she confirmed that fact. So what's that grand jury all about? What are they looking into? We don't know, but we hope to find out soon. Because unfortunately, it tends to go that unless you're uh, Keith Rainier, you know, and somebody who's branding women, and this gets printed on the front page of the New York Times, the FBI tends to not pay a lot of attention to these groups, right? They're guilty of cross-state lines, human trafficking, labor trafficking, sex trafficking. I mean, Scientology is. The Moonies are. Uh, the JWs are. Right? We've got a number of these groups who engage in this, you know, really egregious behavior. And they don't get prosecuted for it. Even Keith Ranieri, uh, I mean, that Nexium, that whole outfit, the, the New York Attorney General knew all about what was going on there in 2012. It took another, you know, almost 10 years for that to really blow up and become a thing. New York Times helped with that. The Me Too movement helped with that. Well, now we finally have a criminal conviction connected to Scientology that is undeniable and irrefutable. Could this then lead to, you know, more legal attention in, in Scientology's direction? Fingers crossed. We sure hope so. Fingers crossed. Right. It's very interesting when you talk about the connection with the Los Angeles Police Department and how people are bought off, who are used as protexia, you know. I think about my situation that had come up with my board where 
there's still nothing that came up as evidence against me, but it still somehow kept moving forward. Come to find out people are in Scientology's back pocket and there's nothing you can do. But knowing that the Attorney General of California was a speaker at their events and it would the complaint was brought up to his office and the Deputy Attorney General dealing with my case had taken, well, uh, opposing me, I guess I was up against her. She took calls from Scientology, but wouldn't tell me what the calls were about. And that if I went to a hearing to show evidence that I hadn't done anything wrong, Scientology said they were going to show up with their cameras and harass me. And she said she wasn't going to stop them. And their Freedom Magazine published a story about me. And they knew about the the complaint, I guess, that they had created because they knew about it before I had been informed. Um, And I don't know if I told you this part when I spoke with the person who was the editor of their very ironically named Freedom Magazine. I called him on it and I said, how do you know about this? I haven't even been informed yet. And he got quiet because he realized he blew it. Like He called me too soon to get my statement <laughs> before it had actually been a case. So which means they, you know, I mean, there's no way to assume not that they were involved in it if they knew about it before anyone else. You know, so it ends up costing me lots of money and heartache. So It is really interesting, though, when people come together, I'm sure people in Scientology who are the victims who are then called all these names, knowing that they have backup. If you were being harassed, just knowing that you had someone in your corner, when before I think you probably felt very much alone, is so wonderful. It's like like this gives you this renewed sense of faith in the world. You know, I don't have to worry about just dealing with this on my own or never being believed or being seen as the one who's causing the problem, even though I'm the victim. And so I'm I'm so sorry these people went through this, but I'm very happy they had those moments of having someone speak for them and say, no, no, actually, no, you have a right to be heard and a bad thing did happen to you and someone else needs to take responsibility. This isn't your fault. It's very powerful. Oh, huge, hugely so. It needs to be said, it really can't be said enough times, that the Masterson's victims, who we referred to as the Jane Doe's, we kept them anonymous during the, the course of the trial, are heroes. They are heroic for having done what they had to do and go through what they had to go through to bring this case all the way through. It took seven years for this thing to go from, okay, we're gonna prosecute it, all the way through to a done. And during that time, these women were stalked and harassed and still to this day are being stalked and harassed by the Church of Scientology in a vain effort to get them to stop. That activity on the part of Scientology is now the subject of a civil suit that these victims have brought against the Church of Scientology and against Danny Masterson. And now that the criminal case is over, it was put on hold during the, tri- during the time of the criminal trial. Now that's going to pick back up. So these women are still fighting Scientology for the very right to be free citizens and express themselves and go to the law and get help without Scientology trying to ruin their life, which Scientology doctrine calls for. L. Ron Hubbard wrote very specifically, you ruin them utterly. Critics of Scientology, you take them out. You get rid of them. They, they have directed those actions towards you 
Uh, you and I did a whole show where, you know, back when you were first starting, they went after you. I mean, this is what they do. This is the act- activity of destructive cults is they're very bully-like. They're very, it's a very third grader kind of mentality where they're just going to beat you until you, you know, stop being so mean to them or something. It's it's the most ridiculous nonsense. And it it's straight out of L. Ron Hubbard's immature psychology. He wrote his vindictiveness into the policy of Scientology. So this civil case is happening in order to push back and fight back against that. And that's one of the reasons for this stupid statement from them is they have to now, now that they have been, you know, now that it's legal truth that Scientology does this crap, they have to now defend themselves in the civil trial. Um, So this is going to be a big deal. And yet there's more. Because during this criminal trial, something else came up on the part of Scientology. And, you know, I'm talking so much about Scientology. I really don't want it to be lost that Danny Masterson was a sexual predator and he got caught and he's in jail. Like, two big, huge thumbs up on that, right? The deputy district attorney, Reinhold Mueller, and Ariel uh, Anson were the ones who prosecuted this case. And they did a championship job of doing so. First time, not so good. Second time, they nailed it. And they brought the Scientology in, and they brought the expert witness in, and they got the stories, you know, everything calibrated so that a jury would actually understand a very complicated series of events. Uh, The first time around, the jury did not get it at all. Second time, they totally got it. So the presentation of the case was better. But during the course of this trial, more Scientology shenanigans were revealed in that they had somehow, the Church of Scientology, who was not a defendant in this case, somehow got possession of all of the prosecution's discovery materials. All of it. Like, we're talking about 12 gigabytes of information. was just handed over to Scientology at some point early on. This came up because Scientology inadvertently linked to it when they were writing, when one of Scientology's lawyers, Vicky Podboreski, uh, linked to that discovery information in an email she sent to the LAPD chief of police and to the district attorney for LA County. And it was like, what are you guys doing with this information? You don't have any right to have this information. Nobody should have given this to you. How'd you get it? Turns out Danny Masterson's First attorneys, Tom Messero and Sharon Applebaum, who had uh, got fired from the case and and, uh, this guy Cohen took over, they were the ones who gave it to Scientology. And they had to, this last week, go into the courtroom to the same judge who prosecuted the criminal case and explain to her what happened. And they brought their attorneys because they were in trouble. And during the course of that hearing, which happened on Wednesday, it came out that yes, this is this, they'd given it over to Scientology. But, you know, who was the judge to even ask? And did the judge even have authority to do this? And the court didn't say they couldn't. So, what's the problem? I mean, it was egregious. It was so disgusting, the arguments they were making. They didn't go in and say, yeah, sorry, we shouldn't have done this. It was really more of a middle finger to the court. We were all kind of just like disgusted by it. Tom Messero is a celebrity lawyer who has proven to have no moral compass of any kind. And I've actually started comparing him to Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad. 
you know, if you want a, uh, sometimes you don't need a criminal lawyer, you need a criminal lawyer. And that is exactly who and what Tom Messero is uh, and Sharon Applebaum, his assistant co-counsel. So they got busted. They were sanctioned. They were not referred to the bar. It did not go farther than a, than a really a slap on the wrist, which they will probably appeal. But again, Scientology dirty tricks behind the scenes because what would Scientology want with this discovery information? Well, obviously, they want the information so they can use it to stalk and harass Masterson's victims. And that's exactly what they did. And they had no right to have that information. Now, it's not a criminal violation for them to have it. Scientology is not going to get in any trouble for having received that information, which is kind of gross, but they're not going to. Um, we've already seen what the court did with Messero and Applebaum. So it's just, again, another dirty tricks operation that Scientology involves itself in. And it, and it reminds us that Scientology is always worse than you think. Always. No matter what bottom you think they have, it always goes lower. And your case with the, with the district attorney of the state of California being involved, it sounds, I tell you folks, uh, you know, out there listening to this, you might think this sounds vaguely conspiratorial or something, but this is how Scientology really does operate. It's not 12 guys running the world or any kind of crazy international Illuminati thing. Scientology has policies, and they've had them for decades, to infiltrate government organizations, civic operations, other religious activities, interfaith operations, get cozy with lots and lots of people, lots and lots of groups, any groups that might possibly benefit Scientology at some point in the future, and make really, really nice with them so that they can influence them. And I'll tell you something outrageous right now is the LAPD is conducting an investigation of the officers who investigated Masterson at the request of the Church of Scientology who got a meeting with the chief of police of the LAPD. Leah Remini can't get a meeting with the chief of police of the LAPD, but Scientology's attorney can, and she can make this guy dance to her tune. And that should be so disturbing to anybody living in Los Angeles. You know, we have constant problems with the corruption of the LAPD. This has been a decades-long problem, not just with Scientology, with all kinds of things. We also find the LA County uh, Sheriff's Department, Lee Baca, was in Scientology's pocket. And that guy came up with a laundry list of criminal activities he was involved in. Well, it turns out Scientology was one of those things. So how far do their little tendrils go? Well, we don't even know. You have to you have to understand out there also that this is not these connections are not accidental and they are not meaningless. There are only about 30, 35,000 Scientologists in the world. It's a tiny group of people. They have been around for decades. And the core group of Scientology is the C organization, which is that you know, four or five thousand people. They don't have a lot of people in the legal dirty tricks division called the Office of Special Affairs. It's a very tiny group of people. If they are connected to somebody, if they have taken the time to foster relationships with government officials. You have to know that if that connection exists, it exists because Scientology has invested a tremendous amount of time 
and money and energy in creating that relationship. It's never an accident. The Church of Scientology internally doesn't care about the government, doesn't care about the world. They only care about themselves. So the only connections they're making are connections for their own self-preservation. And that's an important thing to understand. Right. Yeah. And I I think also, I mean, this is a separate conversation about the problem that I have with the Board of Behavioral Science anyway, that you, as a licensed marriage and family therapist and a lot of other licenses, it's mandatory that you pay into them every year. So you're paying for this treat of having them turn on you. But they have this thing that is astounding to me. They have a power of non-adoption of verdict. So and this is not me speaking out of turn. This happened to me. So we can talk about this legally. <laughs> it's not It's not defamation, right? And it's not whatever. It's happened to me. She said, if you take this to a hearing and show your evidence, which I had, and I had an expert witness who had done 400 board cases who was going to speak on my behalf. Uh, if you move ahead with this and the judge rules in your favor, the board has, the, and, and she was connected to the board the board has the power of non-adoption of verdict, which I will make sure of. So it will the judge's verdict will get overturned just because that's what she said was she was going to make sure it was going to happen. Scientology, I'm sure, loves that piece here. <laughs> they love probably connecting with a body of people who will not necessarily go by the ruling of a judge in a case that they can overturn it. They have the power of non-adoption just based on, I don't know what, but it could be that they could be, I don't, I'm, again, I'm not saying for sure, but it could be that this is a person who they think is a threat to the church and they want them to go down and they want them to pay some sort of price because it's part of the, you know, their whole fair game policy. So it's all too appealing. There's Scientology to connect with these, with, with these kinds of, it's like kangaroo court. Exactly. I was going to say that's the exact thing because the way they run their own internal justice system within the Church of Scientology, that entire framework is a corrupt system where one guy at the top has utter authority to change the verdicts or findings or recommendations of the fact-finding body that occurs at the lower level of Scientology. They have this whole system with courts of ethics and committees of evidence and this whole reporting system. And if you get this committee of evidence, this is supposed to be this fact-finding body within Scientology that issues a findings and recommendations based on the facts that it reviews. But if the guy who called the committee of evidence, the, the what's called an ethics authority, doesn't agree with what the committee found, canceled, right? Rewritten. I, oh, I don't like this bit. Change it right? And he has complete authority to do so. And ultimately, it goes up to uh, a guy called the International Justice Chief. And if he so desires, David Miscavige can himself go down and take charge of it and say whatever result he wants. And that's not justice. That's not group you know, equality or anything like that. That is kangaroo court-style justice. And that's what Scientology specializes in. So, of course, they would want to connect with bodies that operate similarly. It's justice in name only. Yeah. Uh, 
And I think that, you know, the attorneys involved in these kinds of cases are kind of resigned to the fact that it's a kangaroo court. In fact, I learned the term kangaroo court from the attorneys involved in these case, in my case. They kept saying it to me over and over again. Well, it's a kangaroo court. It's a kangaroo court. <laughs> but I've, I had to look up that term because it, yes. Um, what is, I, I'm, I would love to go back to when you were saying that these women were harassed. It so often happens within Scientology and other groups that they add insult to injury, add insult to injury, add insult to injury over and over and over again. But the harassment, I'm curious about, you know, what did these women have to endure? And I don't know what they're still enduring because I don't know what protections they have at this point, even though I know I'm sure it feels very good to have gotten some justice. But what were they doing to these women, I guess, of course, to make them back down? Right. We only have hints because the women were not allowed to say too much about this. There were a couple of comments dropped, of course, during the civil trial that will now roll forward. They'll have free, you know, uh, open mic, right, to say everything. What we know so far are tapped phones, um, suspected death of a pet that Scientology was behind. Um, you know, one person, you know, the, the victims are quite sure it was Scientology. Who else would do it? But um, we have being followed, uh, having trash being gone through, being, you know, cameras set up outside the home. Scientology will go so far as if you live on a property, they will rent the property across the street or next door or behind you or all of the above. Get cameras and with their tax exempt money, pay private investigators, a whole team of them, not just one or two guys, a team of people. We have had private investigators. Talk about this, who used to be in Scientology's employ. And they have given whole breakdowns of what it's actually like to work for the Church of Scientology. Often, you don't even know who you're working for. There's traps, you know, cutouts and middlemen. And yet you're doing this sort of, you know, corporate client work where you're following somebody 24-7 and reporting on their every move. And most importantly for Scientology, who else is connected with you? They will take names and numbers and license plates and they will follow those people and figure out who all of your connections are and try to convince those connections and the connections of those connections how awful you are. They will call your neighbors. They will call your place of employment. They will call your family. And they'll badmouth you or tell them that you are under investigation for child porn or for some other you know, trafficking law violation or some other awfulness all in the direction of character and reputation assassination. That's what they're trying to do, right? Is just ruin utterly your entire life and anybody who's connected to you. They often do it in a ham-fisted way that people can see through or that people can be forewarned about. And for example, you know, I, I told everybody I know <laughs> when I became a Scientology critic, hey, I'm taking on Scientology, right? They might contact you. So you can you can take some measures to fight this or push back against it, but it's constant. They, they just don't stop, right? So they have an unlimited fund to pay these people to do this to you. And they are just relentless about it. So those are some of the things that we know these victims had to endure over the last seven years. And again, are still very likely still enduring. It's and it's so psychologically exhausting. It's it, Mike Rinder put it uh, very succinctly recently when he just said, "Look, if you haven't been through it, it's impossible to describe 
what that kind of pressure is like on you because it's it's people outside your window all day long you know and all night they don't they just don't have anything else to do it seems but harass you and make your life awful and i am shocked that this kind of behavior is somehow covered by our first amendment it shouldn't be there should be clear cut laws against this kind of thing the paparazzi gets away with it as well you know this is not just a religious thing or a cult thing it's kind of built into our society in a way that is frankly a bit disturbing the way people get air cover for this um all under the guise of well you know the people have a right to know no the people don't have a right to know <laughs> what towel you're wearing coming out of the shower and yet this is the kind of information that they will literally take their cameras and peer through every window they will uh tap phones they will uh tap email addresses it's gruesome spycraft and scientology has absolutely no problem doing this because as far as they're concerned these people are enemies of mankind and they feel righteously enabled to do this kind of thing it's an insane headspace is an insane headspace. You know, it's reminding me, I don't know if I spoke with you about this, but someone came to see me as a new client who said, I I want to start by apologizing. And I thought, well, apologize. I mean, we haven't even started talking. And she said, no, it was my job. To, I was involved in harassment of you years ago. And I want to apologize. And she said, I'm embarrassed to say all the things that I did, but... I was sure that I was saving the planet. I was sure that I was doing good. It's reminding me of this man I spoke with who had been a white supremacist and he was just told to get out of a car with a bunch of people because he saw two men holding hands and that it was his job to save the world or his whatever, his kind, by beating them up. Then he said, then I suddenly had this moment where I thought, I am a grown up. <laughs> like I don't I don't really understand this anymore. Let me actually look at this and think how wait how is this saving the world and from what? And what were they doing to me? Nothing. But if you're involved in a whole system that is telling you you are doing what is needed in this world, you're protecting. I think people like to champion a cause even if the cause is false. So you get this feeling that you're protecting people by harming people. Um, I think you can get people to do a lot of things. It's the power of, uh, how do we put this, weaponized empaths, like I used to be. People who have good intent. They're empathic people. They want, they're compassionate. They want people to succeed and do well. How do you take somebody like that and radicalize them and turn them into these monsters? Because that's the most powerful kind, is the ones who are true believers. They really think like I did, that Scientology is saving the world. And so anything that gets in the way of that is instantly an enemy of mankind. And if they're an enemy of mankind, well, any action is justified because you have to stop them by any means possible. So going through their trash, pointing cameras at their house, following them around, calling them names, calling their friends and family, this is all completely justified behavior in this black mirror world where they're the bad guys. And this is how we used to think. Now, I didn't do fair game activity. I was kind of off in another area, but I certainly would have supported it in my Scientology headspace for this exact moral reason. I, my moral foundations were completely turned backwards. And anything was justified if it forwarded or helped or, or moved Scientology you know, 
uh, ball down the road. The other thing I wanted to mention about this is the is the really sick part about this is while you have a whole base of people in Scientology and lots of these other groups, I mean, we even see this behavior out of former Nexium survivors and stuff. They still believe in Keith Raniere, right? The problem here is you have this whole base of people who have been weaponized to defend and enable this activity, yet the true nature of Scientology is it's a money-making scam. And the reason Danny Masterson wasn't kicked to the curb years ago is because he's a celebrity and he was making money for Scientology. It's not the Scientologists or the church hierarchy or David Miscavige said, oh, we really like Danny Masterson. We love that 70s show. Let's protect him. It was, this is our earner. This is our breadwinner. This is the guy who's bringing in money and influence and power for Scientology. The network of connections around Danny Masterson are legion. Ashton Kutcher, Mia Kunis. I mean, all the people who are on The 70s Show who aren't even Scientologists are in this guy's sphere of influence. And these are heavy money people. Ashton Kutcher is like billions of dollars. I mean, they're, they're, we're talking about a lot of money and a lot of power. We don't know what the hell Ashton Kutcher's given to Scientology, if anything. But he certainly turned a blind eye to his best friend, Danny Masterson's bad behavior. And there's a whole other family of earners. Alana Masterson, Chris Masterson, this whole family are celebrities. There's a tremendous amount of money that Scientology gets from these people. So the analogy here is actually more of Instead of thinking about it as a religion, if you really start thinking about it like the mafia, (laughs) you'll actually have a closer parallel to what's going on, a better understanding of it. Because in the mafia, they talk about earners. If you ever watch The Sopranos or Godfather or any of the mafia stuff, you know people who are bringing in the money are the ones who are protected. It's the same in Scientology. Masterson was protected because of that. And that makes it so not religious. It has nothing to do with religion. That's why the statement from the church is such a joke, that this is somehow an attack on religion. No, it's an attack on a criminal enterprise that is using religion as air cover, as window dressing. And that's the real truth of the situation. So all these connections and, you know, enforcement arms and fair gaming, it's all to protect the money coming in. You don't want it to be that basic, especially as a former member. Like I spent my life dedicated to this thing. This is what I was defending was a mafia-like operation. And I had no idea. All of what I've explained to you is stuff I figured out after I got out. When you're in, you have no idea. You really believe you're part of a religious crusade saving the world. It's just such a joke. Yeah, and I'm sure it's devastating when you see it as as such. And I'm sure also from your bird's eye view being of watching the trial happen, hearing the the language that's used by people in Scientology or defending it. And I'm sure it just sounds familiar, like, oh, that's how they talk. But to see now where you are in your life and how different you are from that person and that persona sure feels really good knowing that, that, you know, you are not there anywhere close to it anymore. 
Well, you, you know, you you knew me from when I first kind of got out. <laughs> it's been a lot of years. There's been a lot that's happened. And I've changed a lot. At first, it's very difficult. There's a big ego hit and there's a big kind of moral hit and there's a lot of uncertainty. And, and then you kind of figure things out and realize, you know, the, your responsibility for it and how you kind of contributed to it too. And, and how, you know, getting away and stripping off all the language and all the stupid ideas. And then you really kind of can position it a lot more objectively and realize what it was you were part of and, 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 the, and the true depths of the awfulness of it takes years to figure all that crap out. But once you do, it it makes it, everything make a lot more sense. And I'm not angry about all of that anymore. I'm just disappointed you know, in human beings' susceptibility to it, to my own susceptibility to it. Of course, I was raised in it. I re- nobody really ever asked me if I wanted to be part of it. But, you know, and sorting things out with the parents. So everything's all good. They're not part of it anymore either. And you know, and all of that. It really takes a while to get through all the levels of the illusion of Scientology, the multiple illusions that are connected with it. There are so many smoke and mirrors and so much window dressing hiding what it really is. And I, I try to cut to the chase with 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 interviews and stuff I do now to, to, to say that right from the get-go so people know we're really not talking about a legitimate religious operation here. We're talking about a criminal organization. Right. So I I mean, I think also, you know, when we think about people making a horrible behavior somehow allowable and okay and defensible, here the church, I think, is creating more of a monster, you know, when you have, I mean, I don't know Danny Masterson personally, but if I were him and I knew that people were going to be fighting my fight, for me. And they were going to be knocking down my critics and making sure that the women, in this case, I think all women, but the women were too afraid to come forward. I could just sit back and relax and know that I can get away with it and maybe get away with more. I mean, it happens in politics as well when you have people who don't have this sort of, I think, internalized core of conscience um, that when charges are brought and still they can get away with things, still they are continuing in office or have a chance to be back in office, the system itself is creating more of a monster. It's so analogous to mafia movies. I just I just love drawing on this analogy because it really connects with people and it and it's really really accurate. When you look at Joe Pesci's characters in any of Scorsese's movies having to do with Goodfellas or Casino or these movies where he's this loose cannon guy, he's this guy who will just do anything at any moment to anybody and feel completely entitled to do so and that is exactly what that kind of monster you're describing is exactly what's created by that environment. You're an earner. You're a made man. No one can touch you. It's actually against the rules for anybody to come after you. You're protected. And that was Danny Masterson. That is the, the, the celebrity status that Scientology celebrities, that's the status they have, is they are made Scientologists. You know, they're untouchable. As long as they're earning, as long as they're bringing in. And the second they start questioning or turning, you know, and they, the second they're not loyal 
favorite word in the mafia and amongst other crowds, right? The second you're not loyal, the group turns on you immediately. And that's what happened to Leah Remini. She was very protected. And then suddenly she wasn't because she dared to question what was going on. So it can turn on a dime. And people don't understand the danger therein in that position. It's amazing how many people found out the hard way that Trump deals with people that way. You're loyal, you're golden. He couldn't say enough good things about you. But the second you say anything even slightly disrespectful towards him or not in agreement with him, he will toss you under the bus in a microsecond, shame your name, shame your family, shame your spouse. Tell everybody what a scumbag you are, and he'll do it in a mil- in a microsecond. He's the epitome of this kind of behavior. Yeah, it. I- I'm sure it is devastating, and it may have felt devastating to you too that you will lose all standing and all points accrued for all of your sacrifice and self sacrifice. And it's like playing uh, what's the game? Shoots and ladders. Like you just go down, go down to the, the bottom again, and have to start all over again. And so there really isn't an allegiance to you, to the people who have been devoted. Um, You can lose it all. And that, I'm sure, is, yes, the whole being kicked to the curb after you've given so much. It's devastating. And And it's really rough because the people that happens to are usually the last people to expect it. They are the most disoriented, the most shocked, the most surprised by it. And they shouldn't be, but they are, right? And of course, and I was too. I mean, because you don't understand the nature of what you're connected with. And I just don't have any other answer for this except get educated, figure it out, you know, figure people out. They're not that hard, <laughs> especially when it comes to predators. There's so many red flags connected with these guys that, you know, you and me, we live in this world. So, you know, we're probably a little more familiar and maybe I shouldn't be so blase about it, but it's just, you know, we, we've just been talking until we're blue in the face about it. You, know? it's like, you can spot these people before you get too involved with them and you can spot the red flags of these groups before you give too much. And, and it really is on us in this information age to avail ourselves of this information and, and arm ourselves against it because predators aren't going to ever stop existing and cults aren't ever going to stop existing. And multi-level marketing is not going to go away tomorrow. You know, these, these, this, this predacious behavior, there's just a set of people who this is how they live. And we got to avoid those people because they're dangerous. And Masterson was one of them. David Miscavige is one of these guys. L. Ron Hubbard was one of these guys. And look at the thousands, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Just those guys can affect. Right. And if you think it's going to be different for you, like I think about this, yeah, with people who think, well, I maybe that person was kicked out or demoted because they just didn't do it quite right or whatever. And then you, it happens to you and think, wait, but I did everything just right. And then some, I even tried harder than the previous people. Like being in a relationship with someone who's an emotionally abusive person or a narcissistic person, right? who's like kicked out every other person or made their life miserable. And you think, well, if I can just do it right and do it just right, just do it perfectly, it'll be different for me. And no, it won't be different for you because the the person who keeps doing this to people is remaining the same. So the X in the equation, if it always remains the same, right, the equation's going to come out the same. And that's very hard. 
you got to spot this stuff before you identify with it, before you get emotionally connected to it, because it's so much harder after you've committed. So much harder. So just as we're finishing up, and it's so nice, and I, I want to be able to talk to you more often because I miss talking to you. <laughs> yeah, you too. What else? And anything else that we can kind of learn from this or offer to people who, I mean, the, who have been through something like this? I mean, I, these women are going to need a lot of support and a lot of believing. You know, I think just being believed once you're told that you're you're the one causing the problem by coming forward and and it wasn't abuse and just not being given support for the language that's appropriate here oh absolutely the the gaslighting here was intense right i mean because that's basically what the church did is it tried to gaslight all these women and and convince them that their memories were not real and what happened to them was absolutely not what happened to them and that kind of again that kind of behavior when you're when you're dealing with anybody who is messing with your memories or your reality to that degree you have got to stop and whoa whoa what's going on here it is always okay to ask questions and it's not just enough to just be willing to ask questions you have to actually formulate them in your mind and ask them because it's the process of doing that that keeps your head clear and level you know and and keeps you from over committing there are so many things in this world and so many people in this world who will draw on and play on your emotions and your emotional needs and that's the way they get in that's the path they use and so if you're feeling yourself in a situation where it something's not quite right something doesn't make sense but you feel like this is, you know you should be compelled to be part of this or something red flag telling you you know make sure things make sense and if they don't or if somebody starts being overbearing or authoritarian or you know my way or the highway turn around and walk away you just don't need that level of relationship okay so thank you so where can people find all the millions of things that you're doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all on my YouTube channel. If you go there, it's uh, it's Chris Shelton, uh, MSC. Uh, you can look me up on YouTube. Uh, there's mncriticalthinking.com, which is my website, and the Sensibly Speaking podcast, which I do every week. So those things, if you check any of those things, you'll you'll find me. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Very nice. Okay, good. Good to talk to you. One more thing before you go. It is always good to talk to Chris Shelton. He has so much information and it is always so interesting. I know that, you know, every once in a while we will talk about the fact that, you know, we've been harassed and other people have been harassed by Scientology and what that means and what that feels like. And at some point too, how we and others have gotten to this point of saying, you know, we don't want to be intimidated into silence anymore because we think the public deserves to know what goes on behind closed doors there and the deals that are made to protect their goings on in the community. And so much exists within the shadows in these groups and they keep people from getting the information that is needed 
And so while there's a lot that I probably still can't share about Scientology for fear of them coming after me, I can say how they personally affected me. I can talk about the calls that they made to the Deputy Attorney General's Office of California to talk about me and my work and how they feel about me. I can talk about the fact that when I asked the Deputy Attorney General of California what Scientology was calling about and what they were saying, that she said, I don't need to tell you that. Their privacy was protected. Their rights were protected in those moments. And so it served them and did not serve me. And so you wonder why those things happen in those moments, why some people's rights are more important than others, and how they secured those rights with those offices. It does make everything feel very suspicious. And just for anyone who is concerned, I did consult with an attorney before sharing these things on the podcast today just to make sure that it was, quote-unquote, kosher for me to do so. I can talk about what happened to me personally. So for Scientologists who might want to come after me for sharing these things, there is nothing for you to come after. And so those are just things that people in this field need to kind of have on their mind, unfortunately. That they just want to make sure that they're not a target over and over again just because it feels draining. Just like with a lot of people who come forward on the podcast, what they are saying, similar to what I say, and I think probably Chris too, is we don't want to have to stay silent if we can legally share what has happened to us. And even if it means that Scientology is not happy with us doing it, we have the right. And there is freedom of speech. And we are exercising it. In terms of some of the things that Chris talked about that I want to be able to get into. There is this, speaking about speech, there is this double speak that happens within Scientology, not unlike other groups, where you are called something or you're told that you're doing something, but it really is Scientology that's doing it or doing it to you. Let me explain what I mean. So people who leave Scientology or who are not in anymore. They are called DBs, degraded beings. And what's interesting, first of all, is that, I mean, it sounds so immature to just use kind of lofty language to basically insult people who have left an organization. Because who cares, really? You can join something and you can leave it and you shouldn't be called names unless the organization is tremendously immature, which Scientology can seem over and over again. So they're called degraded beings. But what really happens is that, yes, these people are degraded, but it's not that they're degraded beings. They are degraded by Scientology for leaving. So if you really want to look at it honestly, yeah, they're degraded by Scientology. They don't just exist in a degraded form in and of themselves and by themselves. Same thing with being declared a suppressive person. So when somebody is declared an SP, it's considered a horrible, terrifying thing within Scientology. And people will do everything they can to avoid being called that. But 
when we think about the Danny Masterson case, when we think about all of the people who have dealt with having loved ones commit suicide in this group with cases just starting to come forward, when we think about all the people whose information has been suppressed, when we think about the people whose emotions have been suppressed, when we think about the people whose relationships have been suppressed, where they have been disconnected from, where they haven't been able to really be fully themselves, then yes, they are suppressive people. But again, that's not a character flaw. They are being suppressed by Scientology. And so what you want to always look at is why someone is being called a certain name, and again, highly immature and unnecessary and wrong. But If people are seen within a certain state, it is not their character that is often being talked about. It's what's being done to them that is much more accurate. So, yes, people who leave are often degraded in their own eyes, in other people's eyes, by Scientology. And then they are called degraded beings. And yes, people are declared suppressive people, but they are suppressed by Scientology. When you go into this kind of world of confusing language and a reversal of the causal relationship, meaning something that is caused by Scientology is put on the person as originating from them. So there's a reversal of the causal relationship, what caused what then you have a situation where your mind is being played with through this use and misuse and redirection of language and diagnosis. And so if somebody, for example, would be considered to be a person who is hurt, you could say this person is hurting or you can say, actually, I'm the one who hurt them. So yes, they are hurting. There is a reason that they are hurting. There's a reason that they might be feeling a certain way, and it's being caused by the organization. When an organization does not want to take responsibility, though, for the damage that they cause, they will instead want to paint you as having some inherent fault with you. And that is very frustrating. Not only frustrating, but it's very hard for people in this situation because what doesn't come from those kinds of, I guess, situations is compassion that's sorely lacking in these moments of people being called something, people being kicked out of an organization, people being in these situations of having insult added to injury over and over. No compassion, no warmth, no feeling of responsibility that's directed at them for causing them to go through this. When people are in Scientology and other groups like it, they feel like they were raised with this notion that the world outside is this terrible, unfeeling place. And at least they can be with Scientologists who care about the world and care about the mission. But I have heard almost 100% of the time that when people leave it, they find that people outside are much more compassionate, that the world is a much kinder and gentler place than Scientology was for them, or that they were told the world would be. So if you're thinking about leaving Scientology, that's your choice. But just know that 
when you kind of dip your toe in the water outside, it's nice. It's warm. It's much warmer than you've been taught. So don't be afraid to try it out, no matter what names you're called, because that's just Scientology having its own tantrum about you leaving. And let them tantrum. It's okay. As long as you get to make your choice and have your life and have your freedom. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com slash indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.